Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know I have a free on-demand masterclass called Five Steps to Writing a Novel Without Letting Perfectionism or Procrastination Get in the Way. In this free training, I cover things like where perfectionism comes from, how it's directly linked to procrastination, and what you can do right now to start making real progress with your writing. I also talk about the problem with popular plotting methods and how they can do more harm than good, especially if you're brand new to writing. And last but certainly not least, I share some of the most common mistakes I see writers make so you can avoid them and make this the year you finish your novel. If this sounds like something you're interested in, you can sign up for free at savannagilbo.com forward slash training. One more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash training to get your hands on this free masterclass. You never run out of words. As a writer, you will never run out of words. So if you need to change a scene, just change it. Your scenes will change and be revised continuously up until the thing goes live. And even then, you can still change a few things. So change is part of the process and you want to change, lean into that change. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, I have something really fun to share with you. I sat down for a conversation with one of the writers I worked with. Her name's Anne Mortensen, and she's going to share her journey of how she went from finishing the first draft of one book to putting that book on the shelf for a few months, writing a completely different book, and then ultimately publishing both books. So you'll hear all about that, and you'll also hear about her experience working with me on both of those books as well. She talks about how we spent a lot of time pressure testing her outlines and the effect that that had on her ability to write a solid first draft. She talks about some of the trouble she had with the protagonist in her first book and how once she took some time away from the draft, she was able to come back to it with fresh eyes and you'll hear all about how she fixed her character problem. So she's going to talk about what worked for her, some of the unique approaches she took to the writing process, as well as where she's headed next. So this is a jam-packed episode with Anne Mortensen, and I'm so excited to share her story with you. I won't spoil any more of the goodness, so let's go ahead and dive right into the conversation. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. You have a really fun story when it comes to writing two books. We're going to talk about two books today and how you kind of you know, got to some sticking points, went out and found the help you need to make it happen. And then you cranked out two novels, one of which was published in 2021 and the other in 2023. But before we get into all of that, let's start at the top. So introduce yourself, uh, let people know who you are, what you're all about, what kind of books you write and things like that, if you don't mind. Yes. Hi there, everyone. And it's been quite a journey getting to this point in time as a writer. Originally, I'm from El Paso, Texas. And when I was a teenager, we moved to Athens, Greece, and I grew up there as well. So I have that huge combination and and difference between Greece and the States. And Greece, Greece has a fantastic history of mythology. 
And so I do find I pull a lot of inspiration from the mythology stories. Anyway, so it was Greece and then I moved back to the States for college and then I came to London and that was in 94 and I've been here ever since. Wow. And I've been doing uh, public relations. I've done uh, photography. I've done journalism. It's always been within sort of the communications field. And always in the background, I was doing some form of creative writing. And whether it was short stories or flash fiction or even the odd poem here and there, it, there was always some workshop that I was attending or, or just a class I was involved in. So it was basically, I think it was after I did my journalism, um, I thought to myself, it's time now. I think, I think I've gotten to the point where I can put a novel together. Yeah. And that's where I'm at. And what kind of novels do you write? Now I do science fiction. Yeah. Science fiction, dystopian. Yeah. And they're um, kind of thriller-esque, I, right? Yes, okay. they are. There's a very strong element of thriller, action, and mystery involved in the stories. Yeah. It's kind of the type of story I would love to see on film one day. I can definitely, yeah, well, fingers crossed. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. If there's any producers out there, you know how to get a hold of Anne. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's a little flavor of romance in your stories too, right? Always. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's wonderful. You've been, you've lived all over the world, which I'm totally jealous about. We're going to talk through, so two of your books, let me just give an overview of kind of what we're going to go through and then we'll dig into all the little pieces. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to talk about the whole writing journey. And this is just a quick highlight reel of kind of what I have known of Anne since 2019 when we met. So her journey started before then, like she just said, uh, but we met in 2019. We worked together for about, I think it was three to four months on the novel that is now called The Arcadian Match. So you'll yes. hear that title come up. And then if I remember correctly, you kind of felt like something wasn't quite right in the draft that you produced. So you put that on hold. You were working on another novel called The Truth Effect, which we'll talk about also, which got published in 2021. And then you came back to the Arcadian Match, finished that one and published it in June of 2023, correct? Yes, that's it. Okay. Yeah. A quick highlight reel of Anne. <laughs> I love it. So we're going to get into all of that. I pulled the back cover copy of both of your books. So I figure, do you want to start with The Truth Effect or Arcadian Match? And then I'll give a little blurb. Yeah, that's a good question. Which one? Because they were interwoven in so many ways. We'll start with uh, The Arcadian Match, which is okay. the second book, because yeah. that's the one you and I started off with and started working together on. And it was the challenging one in many different ways to the first one, because my head was still with the truth effect. Yes. And yet I had this idea for the Arcadian match and it just was bugging me so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to, I tried to ignore it, but when inspiration strikes, you know, sometimes the inspiration keeps striking and it just yeah. <laughs> didn't want to go. Yeah, I'm like, okay, alone. <laughs> no, exactly. And so I put the truth effect on hold while I started to draft uh, the Arcadian match. Yeah. 
I just had to get it out of my system. And, and I said to myself, my goodness, my head is still in the book one. So how am I going to work this? I, you know, cause you're, 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 when you're writing a novel, as you know, it takes over your, your brain in so many yes. ways. <laughs> and so when you're starting a new book, you're like, oh my God, this is a whole different set of situations going on here. How yeah. am I going to? And so this is what got me to reach out to you for support. Awesome. Because I couldn't have one head in two places. You know, it yeah. was it was just too much. So you need to borrow uh, my head. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. And your professional sensitivities as well and your skills were yeah. amazing. Well, let's, so, we'll talk about that in a second. Let me read the blurb really quick so we can give some context to the story. Okay. Is that okay? Go ahead. All right. So in 2032, Sweden is the first crime-free eco-ideal nation. In this brave new world of social clubs and point scoring, many attribute the nation's remarkable achievements to the introduction of Q-scores. Social media genius Christian Carlson plays the Q-scores like it's the stock market, and he never fails to deliver. But when his friend falls to his death, Christian's life is turned upside down. His hunt for justice leads him into the murky web of the country's oldest social club, rumored to be a secret society. With his back against the wall, he's forced to play a real-life game where everything depends on who wins the Arcadian match. So, oh my gosh, I got goosebumps while reading that because I haven't read it out loud or like even seen this since we worked together. So that's so mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was quite a, yeah. So tell me, where did this idea come from? Because this is a pretty cool idea. Well, it started with a newspaper clip that I had read in passing. The inspiration for this book came from a newspaper clipping from a Swedish newspaper that was talking about how a museum was melting Viking, Iron Age Viking coins. And I thought to myself, how is it that a museum is who is meant to be preserving history is actually melting it away. Right. Why don't they, you know, it was, it just boggled my mind. And there was something about that that I had to dig into. And I did. And then I turned it into a more personal question of what kind of person wants to do away with their own history? Yeah. And so the whole the whole thing started just developing from there. Yeah. And I thought, wow, let's let's dig into this. I like this. Yeah. And then it wouldn't leave you alone. <laughs> yes, it wouldn't leave me alone. I so I started with that kernel of an idea. And then I reached out to you and and that's when we started fleshing out the outline. Yeah. And I remember you had so many ideas and it was kind of like we were just channeling them and trying to contain them in some kind of structure. Yes. Um, and I think if if I remember correctly, I went back and looked at some of our notes um, last night. We had some trouble with your main character. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. So yes. tell, tell listeners what his name is and kind of what he's all about. Well, his name is now Christian Carlson. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time when I first started writing him, his name was Lucas Nielsen. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're naming a character, you often, it just is quite a spontaneous thing. Well, for me, it is. And so, the, you know, I was Lucas this, Lucas that. But Lucas was a very, I couldn't seem to grab hold of 
the essence of what Lucas really wanted to achieve in this story. Yeah. And his voice was not clear. He was a little bit wishy-washy. He he didn't have enough drive. Although, no, no, scratch that. He did have drive. He just didn't know his purpose. Right. And I know that's all me in the end. It's, so it feels very much like the character as opposed to you as the writer. And so I was talking to you a lot about that and how to extract the essence of the character. And we worked a great deal on that um, because once you finally get the essence of your character, it starts to almost, he writes that story. Right. <laughs> he leads yeah. it and you're, you're almost like just, you know, letting him do his thing. Yeah. And I talk uh, about on this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, it's fine to have all these ideas for external stuff, but we need to always bring things back to character and, you know, show how the events of the story are affecting them and what that interiority is like. So how they're processing what's happening and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember mm -hmm. there is a time in your outline, I saw this last night where I would kind of ask you, like, what is that internal point of the scene? And you would say, like, the point is to introduce the character. And I'm like, no, that's your point. What is the point for Lucas? <laughs> Was Lucas now Christian? So we really had to like dig in. And I remember we tried a couple different scenarios on him too. Like, you know, maybe he's this type of guy and he cares about this, or maybe he's something totally different and he's got this kind of ace up his sleeve or whatever. So we definitely yeah, tried exactly. a lot of hats on him. And then it seems like you found, you know, maybe once you renamed him, his identity came into, into light. And that's exactly what happened. Yes. Yeah. So I had to cool. rename. It, it was interesting. I didn't expect that. I really didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, and when you do just listen to the consonants and the vowels of those two different names, Lucas is softer. Yes. Christian is clear. Yeah. You know, I heard someone once say that you sometimes it's like you have to audition for your main character. And so it's almost like Lucas came to the audition and you're like, you're okay. Like you're a stand in, you know, we want mm -hmm. this part to work for you. And then Christian came on the set and you're like, yes, <laughs> yes. And that's exactly what, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Because as soon as Christian came on board, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. He's, he's running with this story. In fact, yeah. the story went so fast. We barely had any time to do any uh, thinking with him. I mean, he was just <laughs> all action. Yeah. Great. And I think yeah. you said you wrote your draft in about three to four months, right? Yes. Yes. And so I like to point out that had you not been open to that kind of change with your character, because I see a lot of people that get really stuck and they're like, but it was Lucas and I want it to be Lucas, you know, and mm. you were kind of saying something's not right. I'm not going to force it. I'm going to be open to an, a different main character. And then it all just fell into place. Yes. 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 Yeah. And in that regard, always keep moving forward anyway, yeah. even though the, you might not have the full character sketch or the feeling of the character from page one. Yeah. The character will become clear. Certainly by the time you get to the end, it's a lot more. And if it doesn't, you know, uh, then you have drafts two, three, and four and so forth. Right. It will happen. And how much, like, so if we're thinking about the character, which we know changed, but how much of the external plot stuff changed from kind of draft one to after you met Christian, how much mm. of that changed? Because Christian was a lot more focused and driven, his uh, narrative drive became clearer to me as well. Yeah. 
And so the opening is different. And the major plot points, therefore, were slightly different. They had to be changed according right. to his new, his fresh drive. Which I um, think is great. And a lot of listeners might be hearing that and being like, oh my gosh, that sounds scary because you just wrote a whole draft and now you have to start over, basically. Yes. I mean, you might know the trajectory of where it's going, but because this new character is coming in with different wounds and goals and motivations, it does have to change. That's logical. But I guess what would you say to those people that are like either perfectionists stuck at the starting line mm-hmm. and they're so afraid to write through a whole draft because it's not going to be perfect or people that get to the end and they kind of cling on to things because, I mean, which I understand this, they've just spent so long working on it that it feels hard mm-hmm. to change. What would you say to those people? You never run out of words. Yeah. As a writer, you will never run out of words. Yeah. So. If you need to change a scene, just change it. Yeah. Your scenes will change and be revised continuously up until the thing goes live. And even then, you can still change a few things. So change is part of the process and you want to change. I would yeah. I would lean into that change. Yeah, because if you hadn't, we wouldn't have the book we have today, right? Which is a great story. Yes. So I think yes. probably you tell me if I'm wrong, but the book you have now more matches your vision and your voice and what you wanted than that original one that if you clung to it, wouldn't have felt the same. Correct. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I had, I I did use uh, a number of the scenes that I initially drafted, yeah. the ideas of the initial uh, scenes, but they all got a renovation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of change, so kind of fa- um, rewind back to when we were working together, because one of the things I did and we did together was we really were hard on your outline and we pressure tested that mm-hmm. thing to no end. Uh, yes. So what was that like? And then kind of like, how how was that experience for you? That was very tough for me because my character, Lucas, was not clear to me. Yeah, And so it was really hard to extract his motivations at that early stage. Yeah, I persevered in the action of the story regardless. And, yeah. and in the, you know, the, in the um, cause and effect sequence. So yeah. you can still, there's still things you can do with your outline. I'm just thinking back to that point. You were probably like, Savannah, I know that you're asking me this question. I don't know the answer either. <laughs> you know, like, yes, I don't know why exactly. Lucas is doing what he's doing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know the deeper motivation. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good that, like you said, you didn't stop. You were kind of like, okay, well, I know the story is still going to go in this direction, so let me just get this all out of my head, and then we can make it awesome later. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's that was my attitude. Let's. I need to. I need to get this out of my system. Pressure testing your outline. Do you remember having any any moments where something clicked, or was it there any like big aha moments? or any turning the corner? I think with it was the cause and effect. The yeah. logical sequence of the cause and effect really became very clear to me in the outlining process. And I used that a lot to keep the structure of the story very strong. Yeah. And to keep me motivated as the writer. Right. Because it, you, you don't want to read a story in the end and you're like, how did that happen to from here to this makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Then, you know, you're that's a true draft zero. 
this way of using an outline as a guiding force is is you're going to get something nice that you're to work with. Yeah. And like you said, it's not always easy to pressure test it and do this kind of work and realize, okay, it's not perfect, but I'm going to go forward Mm -hmm. anyway. But again, then you wrote the draft in three to four months. So, you know, that's, I think for listeners who maybe don't see the value in outlining or who haven't found that right way for them to outline, that's what's possible when you have an outline like this. So it's pretty cool. Yes. And the kind of outlines that you work with aren't so detailed that they're inflexible. Right. You do a very succinct one page bullet point type of outline process. And it's so that you as the writer knows where you're going and there's a sense of security within that. And then with that sense of security, the creativity flows a little bit easier. Right. And it was, you know, like you said, had we kind of not gone through that process and realized together that Lucas wasn't quite either formed or the right fit for this role, imagine Mm -hmm. writing a hundred thousand words and having to realize that. And then you're like, I quit writing, you know, yeah, (laughs) that would be hard or worse. You know, you're forcing Lucas to be something he's not. The readers are going to pick it up. Yeah. We, we forced him for a while. Yeah. We had to just to get the story down. Yeah. But be again, it's being open and flexible to saying, okay, maybe, you know, he was the stand in, as you said. Yeah. The new character will come on board and, and thankfully he did. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you, when you finish that one, kind of like what we're saying, you had issues with Lucas. There was something wrong. We didn't quite know what the deal was yet. So you put mm. that down and then you went back to work on the truth effect, which I have a synopsis. I'll read it really quick and then we can talk about that. Okay. Mm. So this one says, in the year 2030, the United Kingdom faces an extraordinary time where the truth itself becomes a weapon in the hands of the powerful British government. The truth laws have transformed the once free internet into a controlled space, making information a dangerous tool. Meet Kelly Blackwell, a journalist entangled in this web of government-defined truth, in quotations. False accusations have tarnished her career, leaving her reputation hanging by a thread. Just when everything seems hopeless, she discovers classified information that could clear her name and dismantle the oppressive system. Fueled by unwavering determination, Kelly sets out on a daring quest to find the person behind the false accusations against her. With the help of skilled hackers, digital rebels, and her only true friend, Kelly pursues a heart-pounding mission to reveal the hidden truth buried under government control. So another great synopsis. I love that. Or back cover copy. And so what was it like, I guess, going back to that one after working on the Arcadian match and kind of hitting a roadblock? Yeah, I felt that the work that I did on the Arcadian match supported the work on the truth effect in terms of, oh, gosh, yeah, refresh. uh, I refreshed my outline. I refreshed each scene. It really did support the process a lot more than I expected it would. I thought I would also be somewhat drained <laughs> and I wasn't. Yeah, not I could you. Finish it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine you being drained. I feel like it fuels you every time you finish one. You're like, I got to get another one in. <laughs> and so I like what you said that use some of the tools that you learned while writing the Arcanian match to apply to the truth effect, which probably made that process easier in a way. 
Yes, it but did. people always ask me, like, do writers have an easier time with book two? And I always say, kind of like in that sense, right? You have tools, you have ways to troubleshoot your own draft. But mm-hmm. you tell me the answer to that question for yourself. Was it easier in general or harder or a mix of both? It was easier in terms of the craft itself. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say that each project has its own individual challenges. Yes. So in book one is actually will always be the most challenging because you have about 10 balls in the air and you have, when I say the balls, I mean, in terms of your crafts that you're, you're applying to your project and you have to remember all these techniques and you're putting them into action. After that, each book, like, with the Arcadia match, I was, in, I encountered the the character issues, which I hadn't expected yeah. because with the truth effect, Kelly, who's the main character of the truth effect was so clear to me. It was yeah. like, man, I was dreaming her. Yeah. Um, the Arcadian match is like, who the hell is Lucas? I mean, come yeah. on guy. You know, yeah. it was really, who are you? So, yeah. So each, each project will have its, its challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like to say, I don't know who originally said this, but I heard it somewhere and I've just kind of glommed onto it. But when you reach a new level, you're going to find a new devil. And so, you know, with any new book you write, there's going to be something, whether it's a character, a plot event, like whatever it is, maybe your outline's not working where you didn't have that issue before. And I always like to tell people, like, don't make it mean more than it does. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be a writer. It just means that you've hit a new level and now you have new challenges. Yes. And that is the danger when you're working alone on your book, you can quite easily start thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And uh, because we don't have the colleagues next to us to talk about these things uh, with. So a number of writers go through different challenges. And this is where having someone like Savannah coach coaching you will really help give a broader perspective So I think a lot of writers too, they think that, you know, books are made in a silo. And if you're not creating something that works, then you're the problem. But if we think about, you know, all the stuff we do, like if we were to go out and I don't know, let's say learn how to golf tomorrow and we tried to do it on our own, how would we know if we were getting better or how would we know which techniques to fix You know, Mm -hmm. and then it's like, imagine working with a golf coach because you want to become a better golfer or golfing with a friend who you guys can kind of look at each other's form or whatever it is and give each other tips. Like there's so much, I don't know, greatness that comes from having another person involved, even if it's just a writing buddy who can kind of keep you accountable and, you know, be there for you when you get bummed because that's going to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're in your silo, you don't know what to expect and you don't know like I always tell people at the end of each act in your story, you're probably going to hate your story and you're going to be like, what am I even doing? I see that happen all the time. But if you don't mm-hmm. have someone sharing that, how are you going to know that that's normal? You know? And, you know, your first draft is always going to be a little bit rougher. Yeah. So you can always expect that of yourself. You're getting that story down. That's what right. the point is, that draft. And and so definitely not the time to beat yourself up either. Yeah. Um, as writers, we have to work alone because that's the nature of our work. But you don't have to be alone in the process. And I always remember somebody, you know, 
it's a very common saying, no one is an island and writers are not an island either. Right. Yeah. We need to talk to each other. Yeah. And let me ask you, so before we worked together, had you ever had any kind of feedback or worked in any writing groups or anything like that? I had worked in writing groups and workshops. They're really good for different purposes. Yeah. I, having gone through a different, uh, many different types of, you know, working with different writers and coaches and so forth, the coaching experience is probably the best. Yeah. And is that just Um, because it's like tailored to your story and your set of tools? Yes. On my end of it, when I like, this is different for every coach, but when I come to it, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm going to meet, let's say, Anne, where she's at, and I'm going to help her execute the vision. And I want to say that because a lot, I was going to ask you next, a lot of writers worry about working with somebody because they're like, I don't want them to change my voice. I don't want them to take over my story. And what would you say to that fear? Oh, it's unfounded entirely. (laughs) An editor will not want to change your voice and a coach won't either. And the reason for that is because, well, it's too much work for them, (laughs) frankly. It, It really is. And you're an individual with your own style and your own voice. And that's the beauty of being a writer. You you yeah. you have that. And nobody will ever be able to take that away from you. So uh, and and the coach knows this, and a, and a good coach will cultivate that voice. Yeah, and even point it out to you because many times writers don't even know their own voices. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're discovering that as well as everything else. And yeah. I'll vouch for what you just said. Like it is a it would be a lot of work for me to just come in and take over your story. I have my own things I want to write, so I'm not going to come in and take over yours, right? Exactly, um, exactly. And also, like, you know, you tell me if this is accurate from your experience, but part of how I do things is I like to ask you questions. So I'm like, okay, if this is what you want or if this is true, you know, what would this mean for the character? Or what would this mean for the next scene? Or, you know, why did he act this way? So it's it's more like instead of me saying this has to happen at this scene. It's like, eh, if you want to do this, then we have to kind of do this to get it in order. Mm-hmm. Is that what you remember from the experience? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, I was going to say, and so it's not like you're being dictated to. It's more like, let me help you accomplish the vision, and here's mm-hmm. how we're going to do it. Yes. Sometimes writers need to hear that because it can totally feel scary to get feedback. And what was your relationship with feedback like kind of before we worked together and you were in those groups? Was it always mm-hmm. easy to receive it? No. Okay. Oh, oh, receiving it for me, yes, because I was thirsty for uh, yeah. feedback. To, yeah. I wanted to improve my craft. But it's almost like the blind leading the blind in some of the <laughs> workshops. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're there are a lot of your peers who are also learning at the same time. So they, as a reader, they can sort of figure out that something's not right, but they can't tell you exactly what needs to be fixed and how. Right. And this is where more of a skilled coach helps enormously. And instead of going home, like with a workshop, you go home, you're like, okay, somebody said it wasn't clear. I don't know what that means. So you start researching all this stuff to try to understand what they meant. And a whole week can go by. You're just trying to fix one page, you know? And and so coach, it just cuts all that time in half. Yeah. Well, actually, it cuts it down entirely. Yeah. 
Well, and I see that happen a lot where people will come to me with pages of feedback from like, you know, let's say beta readers or a writing group or whatever. And it just says like, you know, chapter 17 didn't work. It wasn't clear what was happening. And then I'll read it and I'm like, okay, well, what wasn't clear? You know, is it the character? Is it everything? Is there something in particular you didn't like? Uh, And then, like you said, it's how do you translate that into taking an action on it? Because first of all, not everyone's going to like everything anyway. So you have to kind of weigh, is this valid feedback or not that I want to take action on? Yes. And then how do I translate that into an action step? And that can be really hard because you're in the creative mind, not the logical workshop mind, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So some, and it's very hard to have those two hats on at the same time. It really is. So having that second person who's the objective feedback person is like, wow, such, it, it just allows the creativity to flow that much easier. Yeah. It takes some of the stress away. <laughs> yes, um, it does. What would you say to people who, let's say they're, they just are so afraid of getting feedback from anybody and they, they, they know they should do it because of all the reasons the internet says, but they don't want to because they're afraid. What would you say to those people? Um, if they're afraid because they are worried that somebody is going to take or steal ideas, that's always the that's always one of those things that yeah. you worry about. That is a fear that you could try to ignore because the original idea will often develop anyway. Yeah. yeah. And the way that you develop the story will be unique to you. If somebody is dishonest enough to do that, to take an idea and develop for themselves, they it, it'll be something else. And in fact, you might have inspired them. So you could look at it that way. But for other things like the criticism, you know, that it hits, it hits hard sometimes. Yeah. This yeah. And- is something that a lot of feedback, hearing a lot of feedback will will help overcome. So I'd say throw yourself into even more feedback. Yeah, definitely. The, Getting like, it's like the first time with anything, even if you decide to go to the gym, all of a sudden, it's going to be the hardest the first time. And yeah, then it's, it's it kind of, you know, make sure you're, I always say like, don't ask your family for feedback that you want to take action on because you're probably going to get, you know, mom or dad saying, this is great. You're an amazing child. Mm. Or, you know, someone's going to say, you know, this is terrible. You really should have become a doctor. I mean, it's just like they're going to project their own stuff. They're not the right people to be giving you the kind of feedback you need. But also in the writing community too, it can be hard to find a person who's not going to take their issues out on you, like another writer, Mm. you know? So so sometimes you have to just kind of do your homework and picking the people that you're going to trust to give you feedback and, you know, provide them questions or you can use like a trusted beta reading service, like the Spun Yarn yes. is one of those services, or work with a coach or an editor or another writer. So sometimes you can do a lot to prevent your worst fears from happening, but you have to be aware to take those action steps. <laughs> yes, I, I I think the word that you use is trusted. Um, yeah. I would vet. I would vet for sure people. Yeah. But also bear in mind, sometimes even if you've worked with an editor before, they could also be going, you know, maybe you're on your book two or book three and, and right. you're you, you're working with them again. Maybe they're going, you know, and, and maybe if their delivery style isn't what you remembered, it was back in right. book one, just think maybe they're having a bad day, but don't work with them. 
Yeah, um, I mean, you can you can change up whatever you want at any time. And I yes. even tell people like that too. Like, let's say that Anne and I were working together on, I don't know, four books. I'm making this up. And then by the fifth book, she's like, you know, I hear Savannah in my head now. I'm going to go look for different kinds of feedback. That's totally mm-hmm. fine. I'm good with that. I'm not going to be mad at Anne for working with another editor or coach, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I, as a writer, I would eventually probably want to do the same thing, you know, so mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just something to keep in mind. Yes, um, you can always change. Mm-hmm. You can always change. And it's the professionals, I think, in the industry, they'll probably be like, if I lost Anne and I never worked with Anne again, I'd be sad, but I would not be mad at her. It's a thing that happens, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. So let's go back to the truth effect. How long did that draft take to get like a first draft done? Oh, well, that was a very, uh, that was a much longer process. That yeah. took me in total four years, I think. The first draft probably took me a year. And and that part of that was because I, I was slightly working at the time still. Yeah. So it, it just did. And I was applying a lot of my knowledge of technique as well to it. So it just took a while. Yeah. Yeah. But it was probably one of the most rewarding experiences at the same time. Yeah. And so if we kind of compare that, so that was the truth effect. If we compare the total timeline approximately for the Arcadian match, what was the total for the Arcadian match? I know we said first draft was three to four months. Yes, but there was that gap of time because I went back to the truth right. effect, finished <laughs> that one. and then da, da, da. So in total, I think the Arcadian match took a year and a half. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting and, too because you said the truth effect your character was more clear, so in a way yeah. like that part was easier. But then, like you said, you were working, you know, a day job and all that. Um, so it's it's I don't know. It's always just fascinating to me looking at different timelines and, yes. you know, neither one of them is bad. They're both great. They're both out in the world. I mean, neither timeline is bad. Both the books are excellent, but the result is great. They're both out. Mm-hmm. Are you working on a third book right now? I'm going to start working on a third one in the autumn. So, uh, yeah. And this is going to be an interesting one because I have not yet outlined it whatsoever. (laughs) I'm taking a break. My brain needs to relax. I need to, after you finish a novel, it's very important, (laughs) in my opinion, to take a break and fill the well. That's how I call it, or that's what I say it is. So it's going to the museums and or the film, seeing films, doing whatever it is you really enjoy doing to fill your right. well back up. Yeah. And so just to remind people who are listening, you just published the Arcadian Match in June. So it's been two months. So yes. you're still coming off of that, you know, big whirlwind and it's pretty exciting. Yes. And yes. Speaking, speaking of publishing, how and like when did you decide that you were going to self-publish and how's that whole journey been? Yeah, well, I think in, you know, I was originally, I did want to get involved with more traditional publishing originally. But in the end, I I thought to myself, I need my creative autonomy. Because this series ended up being a series that is not a traditional series. And it was actually hard to to sell it in. It was too different. And it was too new. In my opinion, I you know, the truth effect has a whole set set of characters that are not connected to book two. Right. And yet book two and book one are connected. And so I was trying to like get that across. It works. It works. It's a different format. 
but sometimes traditional publishing doesn't allow experimentation to happen. Yeah, um, I like I like it, what you said about creative autonomy too, because that's a big selling point yes. for a lot of people, and so is the timeline. A lot of people don't want to mm-hmm. wait for the publishing cycle. So, you know, yes. that plus yes. creative autonomy plus you know all the other benefits of self publishing oftentimes look like a win win win. Yes, very much so. And it is. And yes, there's more work involved, but you are in control of it and you get to work with people that you can, you enjoy working with and, you know, you find your team and you know, there's a a huge talent pool out there in the author world. And don't forget, you know, a lot of traditional publishers have are also using a lot of freelancers themselves these days. Right. You know, they've downsized a lot of in-house activities and they outsource a ton of stuff. So there's, you know, we could, I could be using the same book designer as Penguin for all I know. You know, all we know. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, some of these editors out there, some of the really excellent out there that, that, okay, yeah, you Let's not talk about that right now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to kind of start to wrap us up. And you said in your email to me, if if I could put a theme to this project, it would be never give up. Do you want to talk yes. about that a little bit? Yes. Again, it's it's dealing with your challenges. Every project will have a challenge. If you go into the book, into the writing process, recognizing, yeah, there's going to be a challenge. Most likely I'm going to experience that. You have an opportunity to be even more creative. And that's what I would say. Don't see it as a challenge. See it as a part of the process. Yeah. As a part of the creative process. And, and that's what we are. We're creative people and this is our job. So, I mean, this is, I'd want to call it a job. It's just more like it's who we are. Yeah. 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 And creativity can be messy. I mean, that's, yes. You can't plan, you can't plan creativity all the time either. And so there's, there's a discovery process that's, that's part of it. And I like, I really like what you said about never giving up because I, you know, a lot of writers, even listeners of the podcast will email me and they'll ask me, you know, what, what are the things you see that make the writers that you work with who publish, what makes them successful and other writers not? And I'm always like, well, they just don't give up. They keep going. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so many people give up because things get hard, uh, you know, but it's a skill that develops over time. And like we mm-hmm. said earlier, even if you're on your fifth book, you're still going to have a set of challenges that come with that unique story. So yes. you have to love it and be in it and never give up and and you'll be a success. Yes. Yes. The, uh, never give up. And even if you're, you know, um, if your sales are are lagging a little bit or you know this happened and that i mean all sorts of things can happen yeah um always remember we're writing for the love of the craft the passion of the word the this is what lights our souls on fire and so that's what we have to remember at the end of the day right and personally like for me when i think about my books if someone Cause I'm, you know, I have a couple plans of things, but let's say I'm thinking about my young adult fantasy. If someone who is a young adult reader who was like me as a young adult reader picks this up and it affects their life, I have already mm-hmm. won. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's enough for me. So yeah. I think sometimes it's just putting into perspective like what are we doing it for and what 
metrics matter or don't matter and not getting caught up in the things that don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we, we, that's, you've said it perfectly. (laughs) So I guess we'll start wrapping up there unless you have anything else to add to this conversation, Anne. Oh gosh. Um, Any parting words of wisdom? If not, yes, I would say, Go ahead. Yes, I do. Uh, one last thing, I would I would give any writer this bit of information, which is something I discovered as well recently, or in both books. Yeah. Try not to look too far ahead when you're writing. Yeah. A book. So it's again, it's a process orientated type of mindset rather than the goal, and it, it is kind of easy to fall into it. I mean, you're writing towards a goal. Right. But when you're writing a scene, for example, enjoy the process of writing that scene. Right. And then when you go to the next scene, you enjoy that scene. And then in the next, so, so that's that it's very easy to fall into the trap of, oh gosh, I only have two more chapters to go and I'm done, you know? Right. Savor every moment because it's, it's long, it's a long process. Yeah. It can be fun every single day. Yeah. And I think to piggyback off that, you're going to write a stronger story if you let yourself sink into the scene anyway. So you'll have a stronger draft. Other people do like to fast draft and they kind of just put the bare bones down. That's totally fine Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also like that you brought it back to the outline because I was going to ask you, not looking ahead doesn't mean not having an outline, right? (laughs) Correct. Correct. Let the outline do its job. Yeah. 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 And then sink into each moment as you write a scene. And yeah, then you can kind of have fun with the process instead of always feeling like you're coming up short of your deadline or rushing through it. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been a real pleasure to sit down and talk about this, Anne. It was like, I, we, before we jumped on, I told Anne, it's gosh, it's been how many years since we've been on the phone talking about story and we determined it's been about four. So yes. this is a great catch up for both of us. And I know that everything you shared is going to inspire other people to take action and write their books. So thank you for sharing mm-hmm. everything you did. And where oh, you're can welcome. people follow along on your journey or learn more about you other than the links I'll post to your books on Amazon? Yeah, I have a website, which is annmortensenwriter.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Ann Mortensen. And now there are a few of those. So it's probably Ann Mortensen Writer. And Twitter, amortensen100. And I'll give those links to... Savannah and and yeah, they should be yeah, in the we'll, description. We'll put those in the show notes for everybody. But yeah. Anne, thank you so much for spending your time with me. And I really look forward to seeing what you write beyond these two books. So keep us posted and good luck with all of that. And we'll have to have you back. We'll talk about book three. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Savannah. It was such a pleasure being uh being here on your podcast and talking to you again. And um, I, I, I hope that some bit of information helps another writer in some fashion. So that's it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and for showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them in the show notes listed in the description of each episode inside your podcast player or at savannagilbo.com forward slash podcast. 
If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews tell Apple that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, your reviews will help this podcast get in front of more fiction writers just like you. And while you're there, go ahead and hit that follow button because there's going to be another brand new episode next week full of actionable tips, tools, and strategies to help you become a better writer. So I'll see you next week. And until then, happy writing.